Welcome to the preaching ministry of Nest Baptist, where we seek to equip people to love God and love others. Whether you are a longtime follower of Jesus or are exploring what faith in Him might look like, we are glad you're here. It is our prayer that by listening to this message, you may better understand who God is, what He has done for you, and what that means for your life. May all of this lead to the worship of God and be for His glory. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20, and I'll be reading from the ESV. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, and that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the spirit, saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We are back in the armor of God here now. Uh, it's the whole armor of God that we are called to put on. And we're in a spiritual battle, uh, you know, every one of us, every single day. But the question that we have is if we know we're in a battle, but how do we fight? What do we have to stand against it? How do we defend ourselves and how will we ever find true success and ultimate victory in this life? You know, we're told to put on the whole armor of God. We are given this armor as a complete set. And this will give us defense from attacks. It will give us victory but we have to put it on. You know, t twice we are told, put it on, put it all on, put the whole armor on. And so it's important to know what exactly it is that we are been given. You know, what is the promise that we have here? And that's what we are slowly working through. So the first piece of armor that we are given, we were told a couple of weeks ago, is the belt of truth. We talked about the belt of truth. And that belt is this thing that holds all of our armor together. The truth that we have is in Jesus. He is the truth. And that includes the words that he says, of course. So the words that Jesus says are truthful. They are truth. But it goes beyond that, of course. What's really being referred to when it comes to the God of truth or Jesus as truth is who he is and what he is doing. The very things he is doing. Jesus is truth. When Jesus prayed for us in John 17, he prayed that we would be sanctified in truth. We would be growing in this truth. Your word, the word of God, is truth. And so that's our foundation, and that's what everything gets tucked into. That's the belt that everything gets tucked into. When we have truth, we have the reason that we do anything, and the reason that we believe what it is that we believe. It's the answer. It is our worldview. It is truth. The example we gave was why. Would I ever treat someone with equality and love? What's the answer? What is the why answer to that question? Why would we ever treat people this way? We don't, 
We don't, uh, we don't have the answer to that in regular society, and our world may not have the why answer, but truth gives us the answer to all of life's why questions. Why are we here? What is purpose? What is God doing in the midst of all of this? The big why questions that we have. And then last week we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. We have an upright standing before God. Because of the righteousness we have through Christ, we can stand before God. And this is what Terry was giving testimony of. When we understand that, when we get it, it transforms our lives. That we don't stand before God kind of like ducking and like just hoping we don't get hit. But we are able to stand before God like upright with our heads held high. This is the breastplate of righteousness. This is the definition of what righteousness means. We can stand in God's presence with a calmness and with an assurance boldly before the throne because of the righteousness of Christ. We put that on. And today, well, today we're looking at shoes. Shoes. So why shoes? Well, that's a good question. So we're going to look at, number one, what do shoes do? What do the shoes represent? And then how do you get them? So let's start here at the very beginning. What do shoes do? Let's actually just read. Let's actually one verse. We're preaching. This is all just one verse today, of course. And this is verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes for your feet, the readiness that is given by the gospel of peace. This is what we're looking at. So, Kale and I were down in L.A. a few years ago. We went to this famous shoe store down there called Flight Club. And I mean, this place is like a sneakerhead's dream. I mean, they had new shoes, but mostly they had like discontinued shoes, limited releases, special colorways that someone had bought, wrapped them up in cellophane, and then resold at this like huge markup. So if you're looking for a very specific, you know, an Air Jordan or some really rare pair of Yeezys, you know, those crazy shoes from Back to the Future. Remember those ones, those mega shoes? No, mags, not mega. They're called mags. You remember those? They were like really high and they had these special straps on them. Like, I think in like 2011, Nike reissued like 1,500 replicas of these shoes. They sold for about $10,000 US. Like this is insane amount, but they had a pair of those in a glass case. People were flooding into the store, paying all kinds of money to get these shoes. Well, what did they do that's so special? You know, essentially, they don't really obviously do anything. I mean, essentially, shoes are meant to be fashion accessories, and their function is secondary. Unless you live in Winnipeg. If you live in Winnipeg, it's a different story. Brennan was telling me this week about his journey of finding boots that would keep his feet warm for more than 10 minutes in the wintertime. I mean, coming from California, he's never had to deal with this before. Many of you will understand that situation if you've moved here from a warm climate. You know, at some point you have to be like, I don't care what my footwear looks like, I don't care what my boots look like, as long as they keep me warm, that's all that really matters. It's very practical when you get here in the middle of winter. And in ancient times, you know, it was a bit of the same thing that they were dealing with. There are really only two types of footwear, though, that you would wear. You had your everyday sandals, and then you had your battle-ready shoes. That was like, that was about it. But how is this armor? You know, how do shoes fit into this subject? Well, what we will see is that shoes are both a defensive and an offensive tool. I mean, ancient battle shoes were different from the sandals that were worn by everyday citizen. And they provided essentially three things. They provided traction, protection, and mobility. So traction, to start with, the soles of these shoes were actually like cleats. 
These were like the first cleats. This was an invention that was developed under Alexander the Great. And by the time he was 30 years old, he had created one of the largest empires in history. It stretched all the way from Greece up until northern India. He was undefeated in battle and is widely considered to be one of history's greatest and most successful military commanders. And it all started with the soldier's shoes from the ground up. So first of all, they had nails that was driven through the soles, and this is what made them into cleats. Nails driven all through the soles. They had these nails that went through the bottom of the shoes. They gave them this incredible grip. They were like the first cleats. And this was so important because if you slipped while climbing or while maneuvering, it was a big deal, like you could die. So it started right from there, being able to stand firm, being able to stand without slipping and moving forward. The importance of traction that their enemies did not have. And that was the source of his success and the success of his armies that gave them this great success. Well, second, it also provided protection because these shoes had to be really tough, obviously. And in particular, these soles had to be impenetrable, not just spikes, but they had to be tough, like because the enemy would put spikes in the ground. So where you were walking, there could be sabotage spikes all in the ground, all around you if they got there before you did. And not really high spikes, but ones that would be hidden among the foliage so you couldn't necessarily see them. And so you could just happen upon them and step on them. They would cover the spikes with leaves or with debris. And so if your shoes weren't incredibly strong, you wouldn't get killed directly, but you would be seriously hobbled. I mean, you can imagine being in a hand-to-hand -hand combat and having stepped on a short spike. Like, I get a sliver in the sole of my foot and... Uh, I just like, I'm like the biggest baby when it comes to that thing. I can't rest until that thing is gone. You know what it's like if part of your foot is incapacitated. It's terrible. And so these shoes, they offered protection against all of these types of difficulties that they would find themselves in in these types of surroundings. Now the third thing that it did was provide with mobility because these shoes had to be as light as possible because you had to be agile. I mean, Alexander the Great, he actually won a lot of battles by the mobility of his army. He was able to march his troops further and faster than any other army, and that gave them victory. I mean, if you want to know more about important footwear, you know, you could talk to Fred Code, who spent four days walking around Holland uh, on special boots. If you're walking like 40, 50, 60 kilometers a day, you want to make sure that you have the right footwear and not just the right footwear, but the right socks as well, or you're not going to make it the next day. Incredibly important. And so that was ancient footwear for battle. The shoes provided traction, protection, and mobility. Now you can see how they were included as armor and why Paul uses them as an example for our spiritual battle. But let's look more closely at what it is that these shoes actually represent. Now we might look at this verse and think of the shoes that we are to put on is the gospel of peace. Are the shoes being represented as the gospel of peace? But it's actually the gospel of peace that gives you these shoes. We are told the gospel of peace gives you these shoes. The gospel of peace actually gives you a readiness. Or as some translations put it, preparation being prepared. That is what the shoes represent. You once again, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness 
given by the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace gives you the readiness to which the shoes represent. Now this comes from the Greek word that means something like nimbleness. It's like being nimble on your feet. That's the idea of readiness or preparation. Always ready to pivot. Always ready to move in the right direction. Not getting tripped up, not stumbling over your feet, but having them move you where you need them to go. And this comes from the first of the three things that these shoes for battle provide us. It's what we call traction or mobility. And this is what readiness or preparation represents. You know, I was uh, in this whole idea of traction mobility. I was reading a Sports Illustrated article this week about a relatively unknown Ukrainian boxer fighter by the name of Vasily Lemachenko. And he became one of the top five pound for pound boxers in the world. And he didn't do this through his handwork. He didn't have a great striking ability or anything like that. But it was all because of his footwork. You know, as a, as a young boy, he loved to dance. And his father noticed this one day and he said to them, Vasily, you know, do you want to dance and do you want to box? And his answer was, of course, yes. And from that moment on, his father put him in dance lessons where he became this like break dancing prodigy. I mean, he had like the lightest feet in town. But that wasn't the end goal, though. It was a means in order to become a boxer. And he became the greatest amateur boxer of all time and the fastest to win a title as a professional. And all of this was due to his nimbleness of foot. It wasn't because of his pure boxing ability, it was because of his incredible footwork that he had developed. It's what our passage today talks about as preparedness or readiness. And in our passage today is the only place where you'll actually find this word. This is a unique word that we find here. It's the opposite of being sluggish. It's like having the feet of Vasily. You're agile, you can pivot quickly when the enemy attacks, when temptation strikes, you can dodge shots, you can stand firm. You can do all of these things because of your footwear. It's this quality of character and you're ready for action, always ready. And of course, protection. I mean, these shoes represent our protection. Whatever comes at you, you can take it. It's like the tough soles of those shoes that protected you from the spikes. It'll be hard, but you're gonna be able to stand you're going to be able to walk through it. It's going to be hard, but you can take it. You can get through it. You can push on, you know, even in difficult times. And we've talked about some of that this morning. And there's many of you who are going through difficult times and you're wondering, what do I have that's going to be able to carry me through this? How am I going to be able to remain hopeful in the midst of the adversity that I find myself in? And this is a question that we all struggle with and we want to know that we have this as something that's available to us. We want to be able to maintain hope in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Many of them I know are being represented here this morning. And that's what these shoes represent. But the big question is how do you get them? Like how do you put these on? And sometimes, you know, I'll come up with ways to help us understand how we get the promises that are being laid out before us. You know, say, well, I think we need to do these things. But then sometimes we find it right in the passage, that the passage itself tells us. And that's what we have here, even in this one short verse. So how do you get these shoes with all of their benefits? And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We get these shoes and the readiness that comes with them by embracing the gospel of peace. 
You know, it's the gospel of peace that gives you everything that we've talked about. It's having Jesus. It's having his righteousness that we talked about last week. There is a peace that comes from the gospel when you really utilize it. And when we talk about biblical peace, the peace that comes from the gospel, it has two elements to it. There is, first of all, peace with God. And that's the peace that we all need, first of all. We need to find peace with God. And this was the thrust of our message last week on the breastplate of righteousness. That's first and foremost. We want to know that we are right with God, that we have a right standing, that we can stand before Him. And when we have this kind of peace, then the war is already over. I mean, the battle has been won when we know that we're able to stand confidently before God. This is objective peace, and it's the first kind of peace that we need. You know, when we think of peace, we usually think of a subjective side of peace, and everyone looks for it. We're all looking for peace. We want to experience peace. You know, it was popular in the late 60s and the 70s with the Beatles, with the hippie movement. There was this peace man kind of peace. Love, not war. Everyone was looking for it. Our whole Western culture got entirely captivated by it. How do we find this peace? We want it. And we still do, and we always have. Whether it's, we, we look for it in different ways, whether it's through meditation or yoga or vacations or some kind of a Zen experience. You know, there's so many different ways we want to experience true peace. But we have to be made right first. There is something that comes first that we have talked about. And of course, that is the peace that we would have with God. I mean, did you know that there was a time in your life, like if you're a Christian today, there was a time in your life when you were not at peace with God. You know, you were rather, we are told, an enemy of God. You were the adversary of God is the way Scripture puts it. You lived in hostility towards God. You were a rebel against God who is your creator, your lawgiver, and your judge, and you were under the wrath of God. That's how we start. And the scriptures makes this very clear that those who do not believe are under the wrath of God. It says, the wrath of God abides in them because they do not believe and obey. That's John chapter 3. And so it's very clear in scripture that we are born into the state of sinful rebellion against God. And that's the condition of every one of us apart from God's grace, that there is no peace. But the gospel tells us that God comes to his enemies in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, and he freely offers to save all who will trust in him, all who will come to him. That gives us peace with God. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first kind of peace that we need to experience. This is peace with God. When we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And that means that this objective hostility that stands between us and God, that hostility that was there, it's been removed. It's taken away. And we are no longer considered as God, by God as enemies, but we are welcomed as friends and even as children into the family of God because God justifies us through faith in Jesus Christ. That means that He pardons our sins. He looks at us through the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He counts us as righteous in His sight. He's, he says as the divine judge upon us, not guilty, and then receives us into His family. 
adopting us into his family of God. And from that time forward, there is only and always peace between us and God. Objectively considered, once you become a Christian, once you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are objectively at peace with God. And to think about that, to really meditate on that, to have that sink into our hearts is life transforming as we heard testimony of this morning. To sit with God and to recognize this, to allow this truth to sink from our, our minds into our hearts, that this is how God sees us. This is what's happened. This is how our life has changed, is utterly life transforming. And so I'm not talking right now about our emotional state, but I'm talking about how God considers you. God is at peace with you, and you are at peace with God if you trust in the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can stand upright before him. Secondly, this leads to a peace of conscience. Peace with God, and then secondly, there is this subjective internal peace that the Christian can experience in their life, and it's what we call the peace of God. There is peace with God, and it leads to the peace of God. Slightly different, I think, than peace with God, the peace of God. See, the key passage for this that we often quote is Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he's talking about prayer. When he says, let your requests be made known to God, he's talking about prayer here. And then he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a further dimension of peace. And it's possible that you can be at peace with God and not be enjoying the peace of God in all circumstances. There's something for us to do. We have to put on the gospel armor for us to enjoy the peace of God in our hearts and our minds in all circumstances, and the gospel helps us to do that. The prophet Isaiah said to God in Isaiah 26, 3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace in all circumstances, whatever we're walking through. Our circumstances don't disappear, but there's suddenly a peace that appears because of who Christ is and what it is that he has done for us. It is a perfect peace. And when you have this kind of peace, peace with God and the peace of God, you are ready to stand against the attacks and you are ready to go and to give this good news to others. That's what shoes do. They take you places to bring the good news. So it provides the defense to be able to stand, to withstand the attacks that we find ourselves under but it also gives us that ability to be able to walk forward, to bring this gospel of peace to others who need to hear it as well. That's what shoes do. They take you places to bring good news. And they enable you to stand against the most brutal of attacks. It's a very practical thing to put on these shoes of readiness. Let me give you a couple examples of this as we come to the end. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, they're known as the Oxford Martyrs. They were burned at the stake in Oxford for not recanting of their Protestant faith. And as they were about to be burned, Latimer looked over at Ridley and he said to him, Be of good comfort and play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust, shall never be put out. Six months later, Thomas Cranmer the guy who wrote the original Book of Common Prayer and who was the Archbishop, he was burned at the same spot. He had been asked to recant of his beliefs and to move away from his 
Protestant biblical convictions. And initially he did because he was afraid that he was going to be put to death. He signed his recant with his right hand. But later he stood up publicly and he said, I was wrong. I was a traitor. And he renounced his recantations. And so they prepared the fire at the same spot where Latimer and Ridley were burned six months earlier. And he did something incredible. He stuck his right hand into the fire first and he said, the hand that betrayed Christ ought to be burned first. A few months later, John Bradford was also burned at the stake for his Protestant beliefs. You've maybe heard of the phrase, thereby the grace of God go I. That's attributed to him. And one of his supporters, Mrs. Marlett, who he had recently written a devotional book for, she had made him a special outfit for his burning. And it was actually a wedding outfit that she gave him to wear while he was burned at the stake. And what this outfit was, was a wedding outfit that he was about to enter into the marriage feast of the Lamb. He burned at the stake with that shirt on, ready to meet his groom. It was called the Shirt of Flame. And on his side, his secretary, John Leaf, was also being burned. They were chained together as they were burned. And before the fire was lit for the two of them, Bradford begged forgiveness of anyone who he had wronged that could hear. And he offered forgiveness to all those who had wronged him. He then turned to Leaf and he said, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. Where do you get that kind of traction? That kind of protection? That kind of mobility? We are told in our passage, it is only with the peace that comes from the gospel. These are the shoes we put on. This is what's available to each and every one of us. This isn't anything special. These weren't superhumans. There was nothing extraordinary about these guys. They just really understood the gospel of peace. They had peace with God, and they experienced the peace of God. Do you have it? Because we all need it. Have you made your peace with God? Have you accepted your peace that you can have with God? You have to confess your sins to Him, receive His forgiveness, receive Him as the one who paid the cost for that debt that your sinfulness occurred. Have you done that yet? You know, without that, you will never have the kind of peace that comes to you in all circumstances, even in your most troubling times. You only have peace in life when you have peace with God, first of all. It is a peace that you have now, and it's a peace that you will carry with you for all eternity. Why would you wait? And for those who already know this peace, these shoes, they give us the readiness to go and to proclaim that peace to others. They are offensive shoes for moving forward. They are offensive shoes in that they move you forward. Put on those shoes and go. Bring the good news of the peace of God with you. We have good news. How could we not when we see all that has been done for us? We are so thankful for what he has done. Let's pray. Father God, we are just so grateful for what it is that we have through Jesus Christ. What a gift this is. And Lord, when we understand this gift, we are given a readiness that we can find in no other way. We're given a peace that we can experience in no other way. And so Father, I pray that we would experience this. God, I pray that for those who are here today, they would, that we would experience not only just the peace with God, but 
May we experience the peace of God. And Lord, we know that there are many today here who are going through very difficult and troubling times, wondering what will come next and how will we be able to continue to stand under the, the midst of the pressure that we find ourselves in. Whether it's financial concerns, health concerns, relational concerns, job concerns, school concerns, you know, we're, we just feel this pressure so often that comes upon our shoulders. And we wonder how will we make it through it. Lord, I pray that we would be able to, to really understand the peace that we have with God so deeply that it would sink into our hearts that then we would be able to experience the peace that comes from you. This is a promise to us when we put it on. So we thank you for the belt of truth that we have, this breastplate of righteousness of Jesus Christ that we can put on, that we can stand before you, and Lord, that we can experience peace with you, and as a result, peace in all the circumstances that we find ourselves in. May we be able to really know this. Thank you that you have made it possible through your Son, Jesus, and we thank you for the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. You know, these people who we have heard about this morning, uh, in our responsive reading that has been written over 500 years ago, we're reciting truths that have been recited for centuries and centuries. Lord, we have this great cloud of witnesses who is encouraging us and supporting us. We have Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. So Lord, may we know the depths and the truth of that, and may that propel us forward in victory. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening in to the preaching ministry of Nest Baptist where we seek to equip people to love God and love others. If you would like more information about what we do and why we do it, please check out our website at nestbaptist.com, where you will find links to all of our ministries, weekly updates, contact information for our staff, and a button to donate. Your donations go to making resources like this possible and helps us in many other ways in reaching our surrounding community with the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.